0: I want to be a leader in general. It could be a product manager, but but in my case, like I'm a I'm a strategist. Uh, I'm a consultant. But I want I just want to be a better leader. You know. So what would you tell me to do? What would be like three simple things that I could do tomorrow? Hey everybody, my name is Andrew Tran. I'm a marketing branding strategist. I help organizations their teams, their team leaders, deliver and execute on the challenges they're facing from marketing campaigns to market entry activity, all the way through to strategy and planning. If you want to hit me up, check out my website. It's www.andrewtran.asia. You can find out a little bit more about me. You can book time with me, but until then, Let's get on with the show. My next guest today is Aaron Fu. He is currently the head of product strategy for iCar Asia, which is an online platform that enables you to buy and sell cars throughout the ASEAN region. Besides that, Aaron also has a deep background when it comes to education and training throughout Southeast Asia and is also a co author of a book called Habitudes 21 Days to Change Your Life. Our chat focused around his career, uh, around product strategy, how he got into that. We also looked at overcoming obstacles when it came to management and leadership. And we also talked about some of the tips with regards to communication, how to effectively apply that with your team in order to deliver and execute on time, on budget. So without further ado, give it up for Aaron. Aaron, my man, how's things? Good,
1: what about you, man? So how's things in Saigon?
0: Man, Saigon is fantastic. Uh, for anyone who's watching or listening, we're shooting at nighttime. It's something I don't do all the time. I normally do. <laughs> nighttime is great uh, at the moment. Uh, you know, it's a it's purple backdrop. Pollution is at a is at a low at the moment. It's at a medium right now. But uh, what, what's happening? Uh, you know, in Malaysia right now. Well, I guess right
1: now itself, it's also quiet. It's something which I really do enjoy during the night because actually. There's actually a construction which happens during the daytime and it gets really noisy with all the banging and all that. And that's why I probably requested for it to be at night. <laughs> yeah, I think Malaysia-wise, it's, it's been great. We are not starting to see how COVID is gradually getting better. And uh, the situation here where we can actually go out more freely, we are not so much restricted. Of course, there are quite a lot of things which have been added into our daily lives. Like you got to go out with a mask. If you don't go, like a, if you don't go out with a mask, you're not going to be allowed in the shopping malls and things like that. So there are things which have changed, but overall, in general, I think Malaysia is doing really well.
0: Yeah, no, Malaysia is doing fantastic. I know some of the other Southeast Asian nations um, that have kind of recently kind of lifted lockdown as in, in some cases, like have have created a second spike. Uh, so everyone's kind of a little bit more. Fortunate. Oh yeah. Outbound travel hasn't really started yet. Uh, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, Vietnam starts there in, in September, uh, fingers crossed. Otherwise, uh, we'll probably have to wait a little bit longer like the rest of the world um, will have to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah,
1: I do miss traveling, definitely. I do miss going to the other countries because uh, we normally travel to Indonesia and Thailand very frequently, but now itself with the lockdown, we're all just relying on all our calls on our laptops. So that, that somehow that human touch is still something which I really do miss. It's yes. something that, meeting somebody face to face, which really does make things a lot more better in terms of communication wise.
0: Yeah, communicate. I want to actually I want to touch on that communication leadership. So for anyone that's watching or listening, today's theme is about uh, it's about leadership. It's, it's about adversity. And also, you know, you're a product strategy leader, right? So, so in a sense, uh, I want to get your thoughts around like, the Asian market in general from a digital perspective as well. So, but first and foremost, for anyone who uh, is new to you, uh, you know, in, in terms of your career and whatnot, like how, like give everyone here a bit of a taste as to, I guess, how you got into a, a products, you know, leadership strategy kind of scenario.
1: That's, that's actually quite an interesting story because throughout my whole career, I've been involved with a lot of personal development, a lot of training and, um, throughout my whole journey, it's been about making sure people knew about our products. So I, I worked in quite a number of MMCs, some in uh, Japanese-based MMCs where uh, we built up teams on providing training and education for products. So I still remember that those were the days when 4K TVs were not a thing just yet. We were trying to bring 4K TVs in the market. and I think back then we didn't have much 4K content as well. It's like... Um, 4k was something which you will probably find on youtube and cameras but you won't find like netflix so netflix wasn't wasn't something in the picture in apac just yet so 4k was something very rare i still remember we had to educate people about 4k and what is 4k smart tvs what were smart tvs and things like that so i kind of got the product in that kind of perspective by educating people about product but my real taste in digital product came only the past couple of years, where I started venturing into iCar Asia, and uh, this is where I explored into um, the products which we had, which provided uh, dealer services as well as car buyers to help them buy and sell cars. So when I joined to that company itself, I think one thing which I was really lucky was that I actually had an amazing mentor. So um, his, it's this guy named Pedro Stahl, and uh, his, he, he was our CIO at that time, and he really gave me the opportunity to really explore and see what product strategy is and how do we really define and build a product which suits the right market.
0: Wow, okay, yeah. so Pedro Stahl, like do you, do you feel like the reason why uh, he's such, you know, you regard him as a bit of a mentor was because he gave you that space to, to really kind of learn yourself?
1: Oh, definitely. I think uh, one thing which he really gave us the opportunity to do was that to explore whatever we're passionate about. So there, there, there are things which you yourself would definitely believe in, and uh, not everybody would believe in, but I think as a leader for him itself, he gave me the opportunity to try it and learn from my mistakes. So. Obviously, he's going to be there with a safety net to make sure that I don't make the extreme farm mistakes, but, um, he's the guy who will be there to allow you to make that mistakes, that small tiny bit of mistakes, and then allow you to learn from it. Because I think at the end of the day itself, it's also about, um, making that mistakes yourself and learning from it. So he allowed it for me.
0: Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Uh, you know, it kind of brings to our, our first kind of key question, like around leadership, uh, you know, you yourself. For anyone who's who's watching and listening, like who doesn't know, you've got a psychology degree, but you're also a certified coach. <laughs> um, so you're not just yeah. a corrupt strategy whiz. You're you're you know you actually can communicate, and and you're certified for that as well. And you can analyze people. And so, with that in mind, like when you're going, when you went through that journey to become a leader that you are now, obviously there would have been some pivotal moments that occurred from a learning perspective, would you be able to recall a couple of them to share?
1: I think for me itself, it's it's the moment when I was given the opportunity. So um, coming from a training background itself and jumping to a product, it's, it, it, it has that that leap in between in which it's kind of like um, jumping to a pool. So you, you know how when you're standing by the side of the pool and you you just want to jump in the pool, but then you know, you're like, Mm, you just hold yourself back and like you almost jump and you're like mm, not just yet the, cold, the pool is cold and um, I think what happened was that the opportunity was given to me uh, by by Pedro back then and uh, he allowed me to take that plunge and at that moment of time I knew that the pool was going to be cold if I were to jump into it and taking that plunge was probably one of the most rewarding thing which I did because at the end of the day it's like if I kept holding on to what I, what I was comfortable with. I'll still be doing what I was um, been doing for the past couple of years, but allowing myself to take that plunge, I think that really created that learning opportunity for me. So coming from a completely different background and jumping to something completely different, something completely new, I think that changed a lot for me. That, that jump,
0: uh, you know, obviously, it's, it's harrowing. Yourself, like it's, it's a completely new experience. Um, you know, and, and you spoke about it before becoming good at something, being great as being a whether or not it's being yeah. a yeah, being a, uh, a subject matter expert, it requires experience. But part of that, yeah. is making you know bad decisions from time to time. Um, obviously, I'm not gonna, I don't want to throw you on the bus, so I'm not throwing him on the bus, but I guess what was the key learning you got besides the the jumping and plunging, like was there something technical uh, that you learned from this whole experience?
1: I, I wouldn't really say technical because I think a lot of things are still relevant um, wherever you go. Um, as long as you're able to do whatever it takes to get things done, then I, I think it's it's uh, kind of the same. But I think one thing if I ought to say it is for me to learn was that um, to learn how to understand consumers a lot better. Because all this while I've been talking about being able to educate consumers, make sure that consumers understand our product. But now itself, I had to flip that position where I had to understand from a consumer point of view, how does this product really benefit the the end user? So it really shifts the way you look at things instead of just one dimensional. um, You've got to look at it from different ways. But I think this is where the the benefit of uh, coming from a psych background comes in handy as well, because I still do remember when I, my early stages of it, I was thinking back, hey, back in my psych days, I learned this thing called Johari Window. I'm not sure if you heard of Johari Window before. Uh, What it says is that there are four different perspectives, which people look at things. Um, One is that, what you see about yourself and what other people can see. So that's the obvious thing. Uh, another one is that what you see and other people don't see, that's your personal thing. And then there's also the part where what other people see and you see, which are what are the matching areas. And there, the fourth box is the what other people see but you don't see. So my role is to try and figure out what do other people see and I don't see and try to expand on what I know about these, these, these users itself, and, and expand that user base, yeah.
0: So so you're you're talking about research and, and to really understand yeah. who your customers are. And also like, you know, being a, having a psych background, you, you're doing that deduction, so that, that investigation, right? To, to kind, of <laughs> kind, of, kind of a bit of a truth. Uh, did you find though, like, you got better, like one thing I think when I speak to other product, uh, product managers, product leaders yeah. is their main learning they've got out of it is the ability to ask better questions to get an answer that will help uh, the product, the service, the organization, yeah. um, the customer. Uh, and so did yeah. you also find like, yeah, like as you, you got better or as the years progressed in your career as a, as a product designer, product manager, you've been able to, uh, basically, ask better questions to deduct like you know certain myths or hypotheses that you created.
1: You, you that's spot on because questioning is literally the foundation of where all this really need to start from. If you're not asking the right questions, you're not going to find the answers which you need to to fulfill your product. Um, in terms of questioning wise, um, I think coaching comes in very handy because the the whole foundation of coaching goes back to asking the right questions at the right time so that you can be able to provoke people or get people into the situation where they can find those answers themselves. And same thing with product as well. You got to find out the right questions to ask the right people so that they can give you the feedback you need to grow your product, right?
0: That's right. Um, actually, you you kind of touched on a great point around communication uh, and and. You know whether or not you're you're a product manager or just a leader, an organizational leader or departmental leader, uh, there's that that leadership element uh, that really comes into play. And I guess where where I find um, really interesting is is understanding how uh, people like yourself has displayed leadership, but also what you've learnt from like into becoming a better leader yourself. And so I guess the question is, is uh, what have you've learned through time when it came to becoming a better leader for those
1: around you? It's all about empathy. Um, the, 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 the more I, I step into a leadership role, the more I find that um, it's really not about yourself, but uh, the whole team and what how the team is currently performing reflects back on you, and if, if they're not performing it's chances are uh, it 's very easy to just point the finger and find the weakest link and but that that sh- really shouldn 't be the case. The weakest link at the end the day it comes back to you because it's it 's how you bring up the team right um, and that 's where if you come to your team members from a point of empathy so There's a big difference between sympathy and empathy, right? Sympathy is you're feeling for somebody. So if they are not performing, you feel for them and you pity them, right? Uh, But if you're empathizing with somebody, this is where you feel with them. And that is a big difference because once you're feeling with these people, uh, with your team members... You, you start to understand what the struggles they're having and uh, putting yourself in their shoes also allows you to think from their perspective. If there's a roadblock and if you're a leader itself, your job is to remove that roadblock so that your team can move fast forward from that. So having that empathy is so important. Yeah, uh, like that's really great
0: because I recently spoke to, to a leader as well and, and I asked yep. similar questions like around, yeah, how he was able to, I guess, communicate and, and develop that, that bond. And, and you, you talked yeah. about like empathy. And, and one of the, one of the things that he did was, you know, he obviously he came into a new market, different language, uh, but, yep. the, but he wanted to find some commonalities. And, and part of that is he spent the two weeks just walking and, like on his floor, just talking to those around him, just to understand who they are, what they do uh, why they're here. Wow. Yeah. And, and from there he's been able to create this intense bond, uh, with his group, with his team. And you know, you mentioned it, uh, a little bit before, like when it comes to leadership, if you're able to display empathy, uh, people are willing to buy into your vision, and therefore yeah. they will go further with you. Yeah,
1: I think the, the, the beauty about empathy is that um it's it's the core start of building that trust with your team members to begin with. Right? So at the end of the day itself, if your team members or whoever you're working with don't trust you, uh you can't go anywhere as well. But it all starts with empathy. If they don't feel that you feel with them, you're gonna be an outsider and you know, you know what, like you're not going to open the door to someone who is a stranger to you, right? So you need to take the first step and be empathetic with your team. And from there on itself, you can start building that trust. And this trust itself, it's not that trust where um, it's not a, what's the right word for it? Um, it's not like you're giving an order and someone just listens to you, right? It is not a power play kind of thing. It's more of that because I trust you, because you feel with me, I trust you, I'll take action on it instead of just following an order. And that creates a big difference as well. I I, I personally feel that if, if somebody is doing it for the sake of just doing it, they'll just get the job done, but they won't go the extra mile. And if you really want to build up your team, I think it's start with empathy and then trust will follow. And when trust will follow, people will have their own ownership of their own task which they're doing.
0: Yeah, uh, do you find though, have you ever been in a situation where you're coaching someone and and they may be leading a team themselves and you you've yep. said, explained exactly what you said hey you got to develop trust within your team otherwise they're not gonna like they'll do the job but they're not really gonna do the job like they'll just do it at a hundred percent but even though yeah. you're only really asking them to go that extra ten percent and you probably go hey you got to build that trust but you know knowing in Asia sometimes uh that that's that's a hard thing to kind of do because. You you have to you know it's almost like you're admitting somewhat weakness because you got to be empathetic yeah you know, to the team you got to talk to them you got to get you know they feel that they have to get down to to their level per se uh, in order to get to know them and be friends and and some people fall in that trap um, have you ever have you went through your coaching have you ever been in situations where you've met people who are going through that struggle?
1: I think it's, you're right, because this is something very common in Asia. It's it's the way we are brought up that there's always gonna be an authority figure somewhere. Uh, when we were kids, we looked up to our parents. If our parents said not to do that, you better not be doing that or else they'll take out some, uh, they'll, they'll probably punish you in some other way or they'll, 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 they'll spank you or something like that, right? Um, as we grow up, we go to school and then there's always another authority figure there, which is a teacher. And if you don't do your homework, something will happen again. And if you go up again, when you, go to, when you start working, there's always your boss there. And, well, the same cycle keeps repeating itself, right? So I, I think the way we start looking at things needs to really shift if we really want to make that change. If you're going to keep staying to the authority figure, I'm not saying that it doesn't work. It, it, there are times for you to be authoritative and there are times for you to be empathetic. So if let's say you have an employee which you've already tried being empathetic with, you've already built that tried to build that trust with that employee, but you just can't seem to get the balls rolling, right? Maybe that's not how that employee might function and maybe they might need something which is more commanding and they, they just need to follow specific on that point. And sometimes that's what you need, right? But... If you really want to build a team which is um, self-sustaining, somebody who, a team which can just manage on your own, you really need to give them that trust, that opportunity to explore on your own and trust them with it. So trust works both ways instead of just one way where they trust you, right? You also need to trust them that they'll do a good job in it. So in a way, it's, it's a whole combination of all these things, which goes back to, Appetizing to your employees look like like
0: just before we move on like i'm keen you also mentioned uh pedro Star, right as a a mentor um through the years have you you, i guess not necessarily have to meet them face to face but have there been any other kind of people that that you've admired Mm -hmm. and why
1: i can get really a lot like um if i i kind of like have people who i i in different fields like if you're talking about product wise i'll definitely jump on, on on pedro again because Pedro's is a guy which uh really showed me how uh products can really have so much solutions uh in this world today uh if you're talking about creating content then it's it's gary v uh gary Vaynerchuk. i'm pretty sure you've watched this video gary v um i find his fire and his enthusiasm to create content on a daily basis really inspiring um, if you talk about personal development, um, I do have one of my former bosses as well. This is like, probably like a decade ago or so. Um, oh yeah, it's more than a decade now. Um, Adam Koo, uh, he's from actually Singapore and he does a lot of these um, uh, motivational uh, training events and things like that. So I actually worked for him for quite a number of years before going out and finding jobs outside Adam Koo. Um. But yeah, I do have a lot of different mentors. It's just that from different areas.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you touched on a good point. Like there's mentors can come in any different forms based on uh, you know, the, the types of experiences you're kind of wanting from, from personal development to product specific to even just motivation uh, coming through as well. You know, so yeah, like like 100%, like I, one of my kind of guys that I, I inspire. That inspires me. Sorry, is uh, Brian Solis. Uh, Brian Solis is, is um, he. He's the one that kind of coined, uh, you know, social business back like before, like you know, before really businesses started to incorporate social media into their businesses. He was already talking about it. He was talking about the six steps of evolution um, that kind of moves uh, for a business to be ready uh, in order to be like a social business per se. Uh, and so from there, he's been able to go ahead and, and, and talk about, um, uh, you know, custom experience, like his, his latest ones about custom experience. Right. And he's starting to kind of, you know, he's starting to move back from the social media technology because before the, the, you know, the social media landscape in terms of technology in MarTech was quite small. And each year they seem to add an extra thousand <laughs> of other technologies coming into play. And so it just becomes so fragmented. It. It's really hard to uh, to to kind of keep up with, uh, you know. So I, I feel for anyone who is a in the IT field and their boss is going <laughs> to to them, and go, "Hey, I just heard something really great from Salesforce. Let's, how can we add this in?" And it's like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, so it, yeah, and the best part about it is
1: that these people are going to come in and say that, "Hey, we need it yesterday." And for, as a product, we'll be like, oh, yesterday. Um, okay, we'll start on it today.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: 100%. So, okay, so
0: moving forward, like, uh, digital landscape in Asia, right? You know, yeah. you're, you're in KL. Anyone who's watching, listening, you're in KL. Uh, you know, over the last few years, right, what What are some of the key things you've seen? And it could be anything. Like, I'm I'm keen to kind of... Yep. Way way heads
1: up i think we did a tech space it really did transform a lot over the past couple of years um it's really the time where if you have a tech idea this is the time you need to start executing on it because if you're not executing on it someone else is going to do it and then you're going to be like dang i missed out." um we've seen how in asia itself grab grew so fast right i mean by the time grab Grab was in the market and Uber tried to come in, it was kind of like a neck to neck battle already. And that's where if you blink and you come in too slow with your idea, you're gonna have that really tough battle. Um, but what, I think, think the, actually touching on touching yeah. on
0: Grab, why do you think Grab has been so successful in Southeast Asia? Do you think it's a patriotic think, thing? W-
1: because it's Asian. No, I, I really don't think so. Right. I, I don't think it's it's uh, something because they are Asian. So, personally, for me, when, when Uber came in, I actually disturbed myself from Grab and started using Uber. <laughs> um, but I do think what they did right was to tailor-make their product to the community they are serving. So, if you look at look at the Grab product itself, right now, they are a super app. They literally have tons of features inside of it. So, from wallets to ordering your food to delivery and all that kind of thing. But every single message which they brought out to the market was actually tailor-made for them. And this is where I think it's so important for APAC, especially even if you think about each individual countries, right? Each, each individual country is different from each other. Uh, one example here, um, e-wallets, right? So if you talk about e-wallets, Malaysia probably peaked up probably about a year back or so, uh, probably a year back. But Indonesia really adopted e-wallet at an extreme fast rate. I still remember last year when I was in Jakarta, um, I was in a shopping mall and I was ordering my coffee. And I still remember there's this whole bunting there uh, where it, it showed a picture of the coffee. And then at the bottom there, there were three different logos of e-wallet. So three different companies providing e-wallet services. And they were like printed there, 20% off, 30% off, three percent off. 30, 20, 30% discounts for a coffee using your e-wallet. I I'll, I'll, I wouldn't mind using my e-wallet to to make payment for 20, 30% discount. So I did, being in Indonesia, I didn't have an Indonesian e-wallet. I just signed up for an e-wallet just because I wanted a discount of 30% because I was there for a couple of days. I'm going to have like coffee again and again, right? So so I signed up for an e-wallet and I used that e-wallet in Indonesia. Now coming back to Malaysia, Yes, there are still e-wallets around, but I probably wouldn't use it unless there is a necessity for it. For example, uh, in Malaysia, we have uh, Touch and Go Digital, which is uh, e-wallet linked to our road tolls. So it's also linked to our road tolls. So I kind of have to use it to go through the highway. Uh, So that's something which I am forced to use. But if you ask me to buy coffee with an e-wallet, I'll be like, where's my discount? I don't don't have that discount, so I'm not going to use it. And if you go to, to Thailand on the other side, Thailand, at that moment of time, it's something. it was something like Malaysia. It, e-wallets wasn't something which was commonly used. So it's like even every single country, even though they're just side by side by side, they have their own culture, they need to be addressed individually, even their tech levels are different. Uh, the fintech in Indonesia has a slight advancement in terms of the banking. Uh, Malaysia is slightly lower. Thailand is slightly faster in different areas. So there are individual countries which needs to be treated differently among each other as well. Yeah, you touched on a really
0: good point. hyper yeah. you know, and that, Yeah. That is such a key insight that I think a lot of Westerners don't, realize like they think asia is asia oh yeah china greater china oh yeah maybe hong kong uh indonesia and thailand maybe that's about it but then they don't realize that actually like vietnam for instance is you know there's it's it has to be so hyper localized because the market is is so uh fierce and competitive uh that they don't realize that they need to incorporate this when they're building their product, when they're building their marketing strategy coming through. Like before yeah. they even think about what kind of uh, marketing platforms to market off, they need to kind of step back and think about all right. Well, from you know from a from a market entry point of view, how are we going to you know galvanize uh, the population into using this? How do we localize? that approach. And so I think, you know, to, to, to go, to go with your ride, ride hailing kind of aspect, uh, go, jet, yeah. right? it's, it's, uh, Indonesian, Oh yeah, you know, and it's huge. It's, it's been valued at like, like, I think I lost my check was like three or $5 billion, but like, like, it's, yeah. it's insane. It's insane. And they don't own anything, which isn't, which is even more insane. <laughs> but, um, in, in that sense, like you're also seeing like, you know, how they, how they localized it into the Vietnam market. They, they called it Gojek. Oh, sorry. Uh, they call it Go GoViet. No. You know, yeah. And, and so you have that and that's competing directly against grab. It's neck and neck. Like they're, I mean, you know, in my suspicion, they're burning money quite quickly at the moment. I don't know yeah. how they're going to make profit out of it. But anyway, that's a separate conversation altogether. But on top of that, you, you've got like, uh, you know, you've got uh, like a yellow, like I think it's called B or something like that. Uh, so, you know, you yep. have three big hail riding companies coming through and that's just hail ride. And then, you you know, it's, it's then you got like food delivery service, obviously grab food is one, you got PayMe, <laughs> Amy, another one, uh, like you've got all these different, uh, fierce competitive, like fierce competition. And to be quite honest, like they're all fairly similar to some degree, like, like the, 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 yeah. the uh, actual product is same, but what differentiates between the two is potentially the partnerships they already have, or they're about to build. Um, the, I guess from a user's perspective, like they, they want to go with something like that's emerging. So the excitement of being with emerging. I think being in Asia and seeing this in in Southeast Asia, like the the adoption rate for emerging uh, platforms and technology is ferocious in comparison to the West. Um, and I think it's partially to do with the the insane kind of appetite that they have for new things, new and better things all the time. Uh, is that something that you're kind of seeing as well, like experiencing it yourself, like living in Asia?
1: Yeah, I think it's 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 really the the whole tech scene is something which is really comparative and it, it you know you know what? Let me just hop on something which you mentioned again just now. It's like um, so while you're talking about um, Getting the hyper localization for each of these these this countries and how Vietnam has three different uh, right hailing, I think at the end of the day itself the 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 brand which will win the product which will win it 's going to be the brand which has the most empathy with the customers because at the end of the day itself, if you think about how grab and uh, grab and gojack really entered the market i i 've not seen how Gojak uh, entered uh, Vietnam but uh, I've seen the posters of of uh, how Gojek have done their marketing, and I've seen how Grab has done it. Honestly, it, it's it's really about building that empathy with your users as well, right? So once again, like trust is a two way street. You gotta do it two ways, right? So the customers need to trust you. You need to trust your customers as well. So you, how do you build that trust? Is is coming out of a brand which one people know that it actually functions. It works as expected. Um, Two is that it needs to be something which you can also relate to. So if you think about the, I still remember I saw this ad from Grab. It, was, it, really, it really warped my heart. I think it was actually in Vietnam, actually, this ad was from. Um, so you probably have seen this ad. It's, it's about how um, Grab Food was delivering food, um, and they could also deliver food to those homeless people by the roadside. So the campaign was something along the lines that every Grab driver, sorry, every um, Grab food delivery person is a hero because that person is delivering food to a specific person and that person could even be a homeless person on the street. And it brought up so much pride in people, uh, in the Grab drivers, uh, that they were so proud to be those Grab delivery people that people trusted the brand and that's where that whole empathy came into place, right? Right? So I really think that the brand which is going to win at the end of the day, is the one which really can empathize the most with the end users. Um, but yeah. yes, competition is absolutely brutal. I think, I think um, one of the main reasons why Uber and Grab had to settle together um, towards the end of the whole battle is because it was literally just burning cash and cash and cash. You've got to do a lot of marketing spend and to try to get that ownership. Essentially, um, yes empathy comes into play as well uh marketing dollars come into play as well but who can last burning money like that on the long run so it's up if you're just burning money but you're not building the empathy someone's gonna have that age so i think the focus really needs to go back to empathy and how do you really build that relationship with your users
0: yeah just to tack on to that with regards to empathy building trust I think also from a from an actionable point of view, it's also you're seeing brands like Grab, for instance, that they're starting to enter into yeah. capital. Like they want to help local businesses or local startup yeah. ideas. And oh, yeah. Asia being that kind of a hub of of startups, like Vietnam is what is like one of the kind of main hubs here in, in Southeast Asia. It, it it incentivizes that kind of culture of, you know, startup entrepreneurial. Um, mindset coming through as well, and and then having that brand name attached to it, it's like, oh, you're you're doing something for the community, you know, and it kind of goes. Yeah, through. I think I think one thing that that um, you know, I, I want to get this your thought, and then then we want to I want to move on to to some advice, but, but I would love like COVID is is killing everyone right, yep. now, right, and, and we just talked <laughs> about we just talked about ride hailing like so serv- it's basically the service industry, so a lot of service industry, a lot of hospitality, tourism industry um you're seeing bits and pieces of of how they're going to adapt to this business as unusual um how do you think like i think anyway this is my personal opinion i would love to get your personal opinion but yep. uh, you know i think there's a there's a differentiation when it comes to empathy and, and tagging that empathy and trust coming coming to it that you mentioned before is about how do we create a safe environment for our drivers but also a safe environment for our uh commuters coming through and and like i don't know it would be so cool and i've yet to see it but it would be so cool to see like grab or any of the other ride hailing companies like provide sanitized helmets have you you know like you know what i mean when you're when when you're on like a Grab (laughs) bike and you don't have your own helmet and you got to put this helmet on and yeah oh and you kind of like man why is my head so itchy and then you know, it, it it just conjures up these these kind of bad moments and stuff. And I think I think with COVID going on, the uh, the sensitivity with regards to safety uh, and, and and bacteria and germs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I think if something like Grab or Gojek even just goes, hey, you know what, we we are from now until whenever we are swapping all of our helmets. where we're and we're doing it for free for all of our uh, drivers out there because we believe that. By doing this, uh, we will, we want to provide the best service we can. You know that providing like you know sanitizing like the the helmets every you know every time it's being used, like small things like that. I think I you know if that's being demonstrated, it should be documented. It should be displayed somehow, some way, either through digital means, either through uh, like a visual kind of copy or anything like that. I think I don't know. What's your thoughts? Like, how do you think like those kind of industries will be able to adapt? covid
1: so, so in malaysia itself we don't have the grab bikes um but i did get on a grab bike in Charkats- <laughs> i actually do think that grab bikes in malaysia could be dangerous but in grab bikes in in like uh in indonesia i'm glad to get on it in indonesia so i actually did get on it in indonesia because in indonesia the traffic is really tight so the bikes can't really uh, swerve in and out that much but in Malaysia because we don't have that much bikes on the road it's like wow you can really you can really see the bikes go <laughs> but I, the, the thing about it is that when I was in Indonesia um, this was actually before the whole COVID thing started so this was this was even before we had the early news of COVID and we didn't even talk about lockdown yet uh, I still remember I got on a grab bike and um, the rider actually provided me with a shower cap so it was like Every single person who gets on their grab bike, I'm not sure if this is something which is happening every single time, but that time when I was getting on a bike, uh, he gave me a shower cap to put on, and the helmet didn't smell like you know a helmet. Uh, and I actually didn't mind putting it on that helmet because he gave me a shower cap, those disposable shower caps, and I just put it on and it didn't smell. So that was kind of helpful, but. Touching on to something which you mentioned, which I think a lot of businesses this time around during COVID, uh, they actually launched themselves into a helping mode in a way where they they are, they are positioning themselves to try and help out other businesses, especially during this COVID time, because all the smaller businesses, uh, the 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 pie ma shops and all that, the stalls on the roadside, um, it's going to be really rough for them to to survive this period of time. And I think a lot of people are going out and helping all these businesses by providing them free market space, uh, uh, e-commerce platform. Even Asia launched their own uh, e-commerce platform recently to try and support uh, the local businesses. Um, But I do think there's this fine line which needs to happen as well because if the brand itself is helping with the intention to get something back in return, people will see that. It's like, you know, you see those videos where people try and help someone out and then they just record the whole process of it and you're like, dude, you don't need to record this while doing a good deed, right? So I think it's, people will also feel that way if, let's say, you are helping out and you're trying to get something back in return for it. So businesses, if you're, if you're trying to help someone out, you try to help the whole situation out, they need to be genuine in it. You cannot just go out there and, and help someone and then get a camera to follow you around. Uh, it'll feel very pretentious and really fake. It's like recently I, I had this person drop me a message, message on LinkedIn and um, I, I spoke about this in one of my videos as well that he messaged me and asked me if I'm willing to help spread the message about financial literacy during the COVID period. Of course I would help. It's helping people during this time. But when I found out what he wanted me to do, he wanted me to actually promote his insurance instead of um, helping people. Instantly, I just shut off and I didn't want to listen to him anymore. So there is that fine line which which needs to be out there that if you want to help, by all means help, but your intention needs to be helping instead, instead of reaping the rewards from it. If you're focusing on that rewards, people are going to see through it, and trust is going to be lost from there.
0: Yeah, make a good point. Uh, it's about authenticity in, in your approach. Yeah, uh, especially when you are going into and trying to help a community, it, it's it's a genuine approach towards it. I think I think the way you've just framed it has been is a really nice way to kind of put it as well. Uh, mate, I know we're running out of time, but I. I I always ask a guest, um, advice, right? I want to be a leader in general. It could be a product manager, but, but in my case, like I'm a, I'm a strategist. uh, I'm a consultant, but I want, I just want to be a better leader, you know? So what would you tell me to do? What would be like three simple things that I could do tomorrow to help me around leadership?
1: Okay. First one would be uh, a Cantonese saying, actually, since since you understand Cantonese, right? Uh, so it's actually a Cantonese line, which I, I still do remember my parents telling me since I was a little kid. Um, one leg kick, uh, which if you translate it, it doesn't make sense. But the meaning behind it is um, do everything you can. So one person, um, so the thing about, us working in a job right now is that a lot of times we just do whatever we are told to do. Um, but one lick kicks kick says is that that one can actually support all the other roles as well. If you feel like right now you're doing your job, can you be involved in other roles as well to help increase the, the, the productivity of your time in the office or, or your results? So as a leader itself, I think we are always looking at it from, uh, uh, a leadership role, we are seeing our teams, but take the opportunity to be involved with your teams as well. Get involved with their daily tasks so that you can empathize and understand uh, what they're going through. So one is, uh, yeah, one leg kick, which is your of tech. Um, Especially in this time, uh, it, we really need to do whatever we can uh, to make sure everything works out. Uh, I know a lot of businesses right now are really rough. Uh, we can't just look at what we're currently doing. We really need to take a bigger, broader view and see how else we can help out with the business. Uh, so that's one. Uh, number two would be um, empathy. Um, probably this is probably the, the, the whole team of this whole thing today. Uh, really have empathy towards the other people, not just your team members, but everyone around you. Uh, being a leader, is, it's it's more about serving people rather than, than leading the team because at the end of the day itself, it's whatever they are doing is a direct response of what your leadership capabilities are. And if they're not producing results, uh, I think it's a good time to really look into ourselves and see what we are not, uh, where we are really missing out. Yeah. So two is empathy and let's see, three. Just, just, just yeah. add to that. I think yeah.
0: listening is, is, is such an important thing as well, like it, yeah. kind of, it falls into that empathy part as well. Like part of being empathetic Definitely. is also being really good at, at listening, um, which which is, you know, I think I think some people forget that uh, you know it's not always the loudest person in the room that, that yeah. has the most important thing to say. It's Sometimes the most quiet, yeah. in the room, you know. And if you, yeah. you know, like, if you see leaders, uh, you, you get the charismatic leader like like Gary Vee. Uh, very opinionated, very loud, very out there, which is totally fine. But then you see other leaders who uh, are a little bit more reserved in their approach, um, yep. a little bit more calculating in their approach, and, and they really take the time to listen to what everyone is saying. So that's why, like, you know, you see Barack Obama, like, uh, you know, he, he's oh a, yeah, someone who listens a lot, whether you like him yep. or. You know, if you just look at him from a leadership perspective, he listens. And so therefore he's able yep. to, when he talks to you, it comes back to that empathy, you know, and he, it's almost like there's that connection because he's able to mention some of the things that you meant that you've said He's able to turn that, um, and, and be able to almost answer you directly. Uh, and, so I, I think, I think communication comes in, but you got one final advice. What, what would that be? Did you say jump?
1: Yeah, jump. <laughs> so going to back earlier to about um, standing by the poolside and you just want to jump, you know that it's going to be something which is very nice for you, jumping to the pool and driving the swim, but you're just afraid that it might be cold for a bit. And it might be cold for a bit, but until you make that jump, you wouldn't know, right? So I think if there's an opportunity in front of you, just jump and grab it. Uh, don't wait. If you you got to wait some of the tech is gonna build that empire and you're gonna be having trouble building up your empire after that. So
0: yeah, jump. Okay, for, for people who want to connect with you, what is the best
1: channel? I would say find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just type out Aaron Foo, A-R-O-N, F-O-O. Uh, you'll find me on LinkedIn. I do have uh, quite a couple of video contents posted up as well as I recently just started doing live. So if you connect with me, you'll be able to get notifications about when I get live on LinkedIn as well. And let's have a chat. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, all the show notes and everything. below. actually, before we end it, I, I want to ask you, and, and we, we spoke about it just before we recorded yep. um, really quickly, you're, you, you're getting this intense amount of, of incredible feedback, like incredible engagement on, on your posts. Um, what, what would be, you know, everyone's trying to game it. Uh, at the moment, and, and you know, there's, since COVID, everyone's on this yep. box to, to add like LinkedIn as, as, as part of their channel. Uh, what do you yep. think has been, I, I guess, a key thing that you've done or you've changed, say in the last couple of months that's really helped uh, your content drive?
1: It still goes back down to the same strategy again. It's like, you really have to empathize with users. So there are a few ways which you can empathize with the people on LinkedIn, um, for me itself, I do it through stories. So I normally tend to tell stories on LinkedIn. I, I, don't, I, I don't fancy uh, giving out the facts in, in order or things like that. I tend to tell it in a way where it's a story because at the end of the day itself, we're all brought up with stories growing up, right? And we all enjoy a good story. And that's where I think for LinkedIn itself – To build that trust, uh, you need to be authentic. You need to be honest. You need to be not perfect. So I feel like a lot of times people think about creating content on LinkedIn. It needs to be perfect. The whole interview needs to go perfectly, and there's not not, going to be any grammar mistakes and things like that. But um, I think being yourself and having those mistakes builds that empathy with people as well, because people are not perfect and they want to see that you're not perfect as well. And when you're telling your stories to people and your stories about you not being perfect, they can relate to you. And once they are able to relate to you, they'll then be able to engage with you and build that trust and stay on with you after that.
0: So on that note, I just want to say a big thank you to Aaron. And for anyone that's listening, obviously all the notes, all the show notes will be, uh in the description everything like that below but until then until i see you in the next video have a good night or good morning good evening wherever you are (laughs) i'll see you in the next video cheers bye